Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Apparently, no one wanted to win last night in Major League Baseball. The teams you care about and even some of the ones that you don't all decided to say, you know what? We're good. We're good. Let's not get those dubs. You know, the Houston Astros had one job to do. Just beat the Phillies. I don't think that's asking a lot. I don't think that's asking too much to have Philadelphia lose. You had one job, Stros. You failed me. As did my Braves, who decided to get shut out by the Miami Marlins. Woof. Woof. That's all I got to say about that. Mets-Nationals game got postponed. Brewers did win. So still an interesting night in Major League Baseball. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Joining me on this voyage of knowledge, entertainment, and awesomeness, of course, is the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. We have a good show lined up for you today. Borderline great show. Depends. Really depends on Hannah. Coming up at 7 o'clock, Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast joins us. Talking about how the Strohs are gearing up for the postseason as they've already clinched the one seed for the American League playoffs. They have two games left in the regular season, both against the Phillies tonight and then tomorrow afternoon baseball. Scheduled to join us. Louisiana Raging Cajun head football coach, Coach Des, supposed to be joining us at 7.15. At 7.30, from the Sporting News, college football reporter, columnist, and our good friend Bill Bender. What do we make of what we've seen so far? What in the heck is happening to Oklahoma? They look like they're a mess. Is Clemson back is their offense back what do we make of Alabama needing to find a way to win against Arkansas Georgia sleepwalking we'll talk about it all with our buddy Bill at 7 30 at straight up eight o'clock Jim Gazzolo our friend from the Lake Charles American Press who covers McNeese will join us McNeese is on a bye this week they opened up conference play over the weekend with a loss on the road and a carnet word We'll break it all down with Jim. So those are our four guests. Of course, that means we got time to talk to you. Love to hear from you. Hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 
706-0111. We'll get to some Saints talk today, some LSU football talk as well. So we're going to cover all the bases, but we're going to start off with some Major League Baseball. Phillies, with their win last night, well, they punched their ticket to the playoffs. That means three National League East teams are in, Braves, Mets, Phillies. And with not only the Phillies winning, which they did three to nothing, Nola pitched well in this ball game for the Phillies. Yes, the Nola, formerly of LSU fame. Lance McCullers Jr. gets tagged with the loss. But he did pitch fairly strong. Six innings, gave up six hits, only the one earned run, struck out five, but he gave up the solo home run. They shut him down after 94 pitches because they're wanting to conserve him. Dusty Baker did clarify his statement yesterday before the game meeting with the media. There's like, hey, my starters, will they'll start, but then we're going to pull them. His everyday players and his pitchers. So McCullers does go six innings, only gives up the one earned run. 94 pitches, striking out five. But then they turn it over to Jose Arquiti, who is being transitioned into a middle reliever role. We know now that he's not going to be part of the rotation for the postseason. That's going to be Verlander, Framer Valdez, Lance McCullers Jr., and Christian Javier. So Urquidy is going to be moved to the bullpen. Not a promising transition for Jose, who gave up two earned runs on two hits, two home runs in two innings. Lots of twos in there. Not the type of twos you want to have in the stat line when you are a relief pitcher. How are they going to use him? That's going to be interesting. Nola, meanwhile, for the Phillies, goes six and two-thirds, gives up only two hits, no earned runs, striking out nine. He was phenomenal. But there was a lot of substitutions in last night's game as well. Altuve, Jeremy Pena, Alex Bregman all got sat down, and guys came in about halfway through the game. Of course, Kyle Schwarber, who is a home run hitting machine. Breaking news, he's the one that hit the home runs. (laughs) Home run derby participant and the big slugger for the Phillies is the gentleman who had two of their three home runs. Stott had the other one in the eighth inning as well. Two teams will face off again tonight in this series, and then Game 3 will be on Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock. A game yours truly and Kevin Foote will be at. I liked what I saw from McCullers. Take away the solo shot, but if you only give up one home run in six innings, you'll take that all day long. And if you're the Astros, that's exactly what you want to see, and you're good to go now. Remember, Lance had to come back from the injury. So seeing a a solid to good performance from him is everything that you need to know. Jose Arquiti being in the pen, Uh, that's 
It's not what you want. <laughs> I mean, he may not make the divisional series roster. And we've talked about that with Brett Chancey, and we'll do so again today. That there's a distinct possibility that Urquidy may be the odd man out here. Because you're having to transition from a starter role to a middle reliever. Hunter Brown's already done that because they did that with him in AAA Sugarland before calling him up. So he's more inclined to be able to understand what that role is. It's a completely different mindset. Starting the game from start, you know, starting the game on the bump to coming into the bullpen, it's a different mindset. It's a different approach. They like Jose, but Urquidy has struggled in the back half of the season. Very distinct possibility he may not make the ALDS roster. So Strohs get shut out by the Phillies with the win. The Phillies go ahead and clinch a wild card spot. Staying in the National League, my Braves decided, hey, instead of wrapping up the NL East divisional crown. Instead of doing that, we're going to lose to the Miami Marlins and get shut out by the Marlins. 68 win Miami Marlins at that. Woof. Woof, woof, woof. Elder gets the loss for the Braves, two and four. Five innings, he got worked up, roughed up, four runs on six hits. Did strike out five. Marlins, they struck early. De La Cruz gets the double to bring in a run there in the bottom of the first. Sanchez then gets a double. That brings in another run. They're off to the races up 2 nothing, And then De La Cruz adds a two-run blast there in the third inning. As the Braves were unable to get anything going hitting-wise, Acuna 0 for 4. Swanson, who's been playing really well of late, went 2 for 4, but that was it. Harris 0 for, Riley 0 for, Olsen 0 for. So they'll have to wait a day to see if they can go ahead and clinch the National League East division title. That way they don't have to play in the wild card round. Now, That's been put on hold, if you will, because the Mets game with the Nationals gets postponed because of weather. So this is where we stand. Updated standings. Also, the Seattle Mariners decided to lose. Not for sure why. Not for sure why they're doing that. Braves and Mets... Braves still hold a game and a half lead over the Mets because of the weekend sweep. So if they win or the Mets lose, it's a done deal. So it's over. So the Braves have two games to wrap up the NL East division crown. Wild card is set for the American League. We just don't know the placement. But with only two games left, despite the loss... The Mariners still hold a lead for that second spot. So Blue Jays in the one spot for the wild card. 
Mariners to Tampa Bay, the three spot, everyone else has been eliminated. In the National League, the Mets hold the top spot for the wild card. Padres hold a one-game lead over the Phillies, so the Phillies are trying to get to the point where they can host the wild card round, be the host team. But the Phillies took the last spot as the Brewers, who looked really good before they traded away their closer, and after they did that, well, everything went downhill. So there you go. Wild card spots are locked in. We just don't know who they are. You know, we don't know what the positioning is going to be. So still, still plenty to go. Still plenty to figure out, iron out, if you will, here with the last two days of the regular season. What we do know is that the Astros will have essentially a week off. They won't begin their divisional series until the 11th, and they'll have a day off, and they'll play again on the 13th. That we do know. Astros, Phillies, tonight. And, hey, once again, this is the second time this has happened in a week that the Astros have put up on the big board, their big scoreboard, congratulating a team in their ballpark for winning a game and punching a ticket to the postseason. They did so with Tampa Bay on Friday when Tampa won and clinched their spot for a wild card berth. And then they did so last night, congratulating the Phillies. It's kind of classy. Don't have to do that. This team beat you in your house. Yet they said, you know what? Come on down. It's all right. Astros, Phillies tonight. 7-10 will be first pitch. You can listen to the game live right here on the game. You're home for the Houston Astros. We got to take a timeout. But when we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll talk just how awful the NFL is. The Rams are the defending Super Bowl champions. They played a terrible game against the 49ers, got curb stomped by the 49ers last night. What do we make of the NFL so far? The product has not been great. It just hasn't. We'll talk about it next right here. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the game wants you to face your worst nightmares by hooking you up with tickets to one of the top haunted attractions in the country. The 13th Gate. Just text the word GATE to 337-283-8100 to enter to win for a pair of general admission passes. That's GATE to 337-283-8100. Get your scare on this Halloween season at the 13th Gate, courtesy of Midnight Productions and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. 
Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. I feel like I'm too old to do a haunted house attraction. And my daughter's not going to be down for that. Like, she's only eight. So, what they do at the 13th gate is going to be, like, like, that's a adult-level type of scary. And when I was a kid, that's not how it used to be. Like, haunted house attractions used to be a little bit more kid-friendly. But in the last 20 years or so, they have really... Halloween has transitioned from a kid's thing to an adult holiday. It happened about 20 years or so ago where it transitioned and the adults took over Halloween. Kids still get to trick-or-treat or trunk-or-treat, but really it became an adult holiday with adult parties and adult scaring and everything like that. Would I go to... Th- I think, you know, I think I would. I wouldn't take my daughter... But I've said it before, I'm the type of person, like, if someone jumps out at me, my reaction is going to be throwing throwing hands. (laughs) So it's probably a good thing that I don't go. It's It's just my reaction. You come and threaten me or threaten my family, I'm going to automatically get into defensive mode. Even though I know I may be in a haunted house. I don't know. That's what I would do. Maybe we should go. Maybe we should go as like a, a field trip, a road trip as the as the as the station. Hannah's furiously shaking her head. No, 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 no. So you wouldn't be down for a road trip to go to a haunted house attraction like Thirteenth Gate? No. <laughs> Kenneth gets like one scary movie like every two weeks. I don't like scary movies. You know what's weird about that? <laughs> I used to enjoy scary movies. I used to watch horror movies all the time. I'm an 80s baby. So, you know, I grew up in the era of Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, Hellraiser. So I grew up in that era of watching, you know, slasher fix, uh, flicks and horror flicks, child's play and everything like that. So I grew up with it, loved horror movies, loved horror movies when I was in my 20s and everything. I just, now I'm just like, eh. I don't know if it's something like I grew out of or I just was like, eh, I've seen it all <laughs> kind of thing. I'm not really for sure. Now I like more more uh, haunted house, like haunted attractions. Like I love the Conjuring movies, which are really, really, really good. Done really well. I love those. And we watch a lot of like ghost shows at the house. We're big ghost adventures. I, I love watching. I love watching because sometimes you do get to see some stuff, but other times I just love mocking them for their overreactions to things. Mm-mm. The only game you watch scary movie is if we're playing some kind of like drinking game or like, you know, if you guess right that, you know, they're going to open this door and somebody jump scare out of this door, like that kind of thing, because some, there's some things that are still cliche in like even the newer scary movies. So like most of like Netflix, we really don't watch most of them because Kenneth will randomly find one. But like, no, you're only getting me to watch a scary movie if one, I'm available to hide. I'm allowed to hide. If I can't hide and watch a scary movie, no, mm-mm, I'm not watching it. I need you to have a blanket so I can hide my face from the screen for at least a minute. So you're not watching the, like, we also l- or love American Horror Story. 
So you probably don't watch that either. No, I've never watched it. I was told I should. I have not yet to watch it. No. It, it was really good early on, and, and it's kind of it's lost its way. But the guy that did that is do has done the Jeffrey Dahmer series, the limited series. Now that I may actually watch. I've I've seen some like clips of that. I may actually watch with that. Evan Peters, who's a regular one of the cast yeah. members from American yeah. War Story. Yeah. So. Somehow I can't get me to watch the nun and no one's ever having it again. No. We watched it in the theater. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. No, <laughs> never again. How <laughs> I got me to do that, I have no idea. The the nun's part of the conjuring universe, I do believe. It's all <laughs> part of the same. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. So, so no, you, no. you wouldn't be down for like, uh, doesn't Universal Studios do like a Hollywood Horror Nights or uh, something like that down at the theme park during the month of October? I don't know. Where they transform Universal Studios essentially into like a haunted house attraction? I probably wouldn't do it. No, probably no. not. I'll go to Disney World and um, do the Halloween Mickey Mouse thing where they're all just dressed up. It's a little, a little bit safer for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> you know what? You know what else is scary? The state of the NFL. It, it just is. I, look, we are four weeks in, a full month into the season. And the play on the field, I, I don't know about you, but it's been borderline atrocious. I don't know if it's the reduction in the preseason. I don't know if it's the new approach by so many players and teams not to play their guys and really don't push them during training camp and during the preseason. But no one looks prepared. Everyone kind of looks sloppy. And Monday Night Football was the cherry on the top of that bad-tasting Sunday. San Francisco, with Jimmy G at quarterback, just trucked the Rams 24-9. 24-9. The Rams got three Matt Gay field goals. That's it. A team coming off a Super Bowl win looks a little lost right now, especially offensively. They just do. Stafford does not look right. He still looks like the issue in the offseason with the shoulder or the elbow. He just does not look right to me when I watch him play. He seems to be off. Noel Dell Beckham Jr., no Andrew Whitworth, no Von Miller. They lost some key members from the Super Bowl team, and I don't know if it's a hangover. I don't know what it is, but they don't look right. 49ers did enough to win the game. Modern NFL standards scoring 24 points usually is not a guarantee that you're going to win, but when the Rams look as pedestrian as they do, it is. Debo Samuel, 57-yard touchdown pass from Jimmy G. And that's all the passing offense they needed because they added a Jeff Wilson 32-yard touchdown run, a Robbie Gold field goal, and then a pick six. There you go. That's your ball game. And Stafford, Stafford, who I like, I do, but he just doesn't seem right to me. He threw the ball 48 times for only 254 yards. That's a lot of wear and tear on a guy who has not looked right throwing the football. I've been told 
throwing the football and throwing it well is usually fundamentally, uh, I don't know, a good thing if you're playing quarterback. He doesn't look right to me. He just doesn't. The motion and the precision and the fact that he's not going through his reads, this is a veteran quarterback. He looks like he's not right physically. 32 of 48 for 254, no touchdowns, a pick. He was also sacked seven times. San Francisco defense is salty. Jimmy G, meanwhile, 16 of 27, 239, a touchdown, no sacks, no picks. There you go. Once again, Cam Akers not being utilized. Cooper Cup had a nice night, over 100 yards and 14 catches. Tyler Higby had a decent night as well, the tight end, but Allen Robinson is a ghost on this team. Like They have weapons like Cam Akers, like Allen Robinson that are nowhere to be found in games, and they're out there playing. They're just not part of the offense. Debo, six catches for 115 yards. He had a good night. And you look at it, and now every team I do uh, do believe in the NFC West is two and two. And we've brought this home about the Saints and about how as dire as things have looked for them at one and three, and they've looked bad in all four of those games, they're still only a game back in the division because the NFL overall just hasn't been very good to start the year. In the NFC alone, the Eagles are clearly the best team right now at 4-0. Jalen Hurts is playing extremely well. I remember being told that he couldn't play quarterback in the NFL. It's funny how that works. You adjust your offense to the skill set of your offensive playmakers. Hey, look what happens. Eagles are 4-0. Cowboys and Giants are 3-1. How that's a possibility, I don't know. Vikings and Packers are 3-1. But they both look vulnerable, both look flawed. Bucks 2-2, Falcons 2-2, Panthers, Saints 1-3. And And then every team in the NFC West is 2-2. There's not a dominant team, even as good as Philly has looked. And the Packers... You expect them to be good as the season progresses. Do any of those teams scare you? The answer you're looking for is no. The NFC, we talked about this before the start of the season, that the NFC was going to be wide open. So many of the playmakers leaving to go to the AFC, it's just wide open. Even a team like the Bears, who are 2-2 and and got Justin Fields playing football from 1945, They're not out of it. I mean, the worst team, obviously, is the Washington Commanders. Even the Lions, who are 1-3, and they're scoring like 34 points a game, but they're giving up 35. Offense is there. Defense is. Not great for Detroit. But it's about the same thing in the AFC. Miami's 3-1. Buffalo's 3-1. They look to be pretty good. Who had the Patriots being the worst team in the AFC East? Raise your hand. No one. 
The AFC North's a mess. Three teams are at two and two. Steelers are one and three. The AFC South has teams with ties in it. The Chiefs look really good. Three and one. But the Chargers, who we all thought were supposed to be pretty good, two and two. Denver, two and two with Russell Wilson. Through four weeks, the NFL's been messy. Phillies looked really good, but not dominant. No team looks like they're a dominant team. Teams look like they're still trying to find themselves, trying to figure things out, trying to figure out how to play their offense. A little surprised, NFL has put out a sloppy product for the first month of the season. Hopefully, now that we're fully into October, we'll start getting better games and better performances from these teams. Got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, oh, it'll be a joyous occasion. Joyous occasion. We'll talk more about the things that scare Hannah Five Names because I think she's, I think you're a bit of a scaredy cat. I'm going to go out and throw that out there. We'll talk some New Orleans Saints. Something happened yesterday that caught Saints fans by surprise and made them not too happy. We'll share it with you and also share with you what Dennis Allen had to say about the status of his team. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Uh, the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score yourself some excellent prizes. That way you can take your lady out for a night on the town. How about a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou or a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. Those all sound amazing. That will all help you out with your date night blues. But you know what? I can't help you out if you don't help out yourself. Go sign up for our rewards club. That way you can score yourself great prizes. But you can't do that unless you go visit 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Sign up for our clubhouse. Get those rewards. That way you'll have the opportunity to score great prizes to help you with your date night blues. It's simple. So go sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Poll question of the day is about the best thing that happened last night during the Monday night football game. Some bozo got onto the field during the game and either was doing some sort of protest or was doing a gender reveal. Not quite for sure. But he ran on the field and decided to light a pink smoke bomb 
and was running away from security. The best part of it was that Bobby Wagner, the former pro bowler and all-pro linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks, who now plays for the Rams, said, I've had enough of this nonsense. And as the guy started running down the sideline by the Rams sideline, he came out and trucked the fan who ran onto the field illegally, lit the pink smoke bomb, and was looking like a moron. That gave me great pleasure. So that leads us to our poll question of the day. Should all gender reveals end with a linebacker trucking the dad? I think this is obviously a slam dunk poll question. This should be 100% yes. Here's why. Wait for it. You ready for me to dazzle you? We don't need to know about your gender reveal. No one needs to know. No one needs to know. No one needs to know. You know how my wife and I found out that we're going to have a daughter? Because the doctor told us. The doctor said, would you like to know? We discussed it. We said yes. We found out. It was a nice, emotional, private moment for us. And then we were able to share it with our family the way we wanted to. We didn't make it a big social media production where you spend thousands of dollars on creative ways to reveal the sex of your baby. It's nonsense. So I hope, moving forward, that this will inspire people for every gender reveal moving forward that someone that's there, that's forced to be there for your gender reveal, has hired a former linebacker or defensive end to come in and absolutely truck the father at the reveal. Because that's something I would watch over and over again. That's what I feel like. Producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names. She's like, no, that sounds awful. Gender reveals are awesome. No, they're not. They're not. They're not. I feel like you know that I'm right. When they're like, we're not going to find out we're doing a gender reveal party and then do the reveal party. And I've already told the like mom or the dad <laughs> what they're having. And then I'm, I'm right. And I'm like, ha, I win. Or just you be the person. You spend $1,000, though. You can literally, you get, oh, <clears throat> like, you get, what, for 10 bucks a piece at, like, Hobby Lobby, get a white shirt and have somebody have the paint and you just have the dad put the hand or, on the belly. And or, that's it. There you go. Or, or hear me out. Hear me out. Just simply tell people. What? 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 Just simply tell people. Hey, <clears throat> hey, we're, you could still have the party. Just tell people, hey, we're blessed. We're about to have a baby boy or we're going to have a baby girl. I don't need the big production. I don't need you to come up with creative ways to explode things that have pink or blue colors in them. Now, don't get me wrong. A good gender reveal fail is always pleasurable. I saw one on the Twitter timeline the other day where some guy was supposed to hit a balloon that was going to unveil the color, and instead the pitch went by him and hit the dad in the face. Okay, so I'm here for these things because anytime there's a gender reveal fail, it makes me happy because gender reveals are stupid. I said what I said. I'm not and taking it back. I will not invite you to mine. Good. You I'm just tell me what one. you're having. I have one. <laughs> I'm having one for the first one. That's it. Everything else is what we're having. There you go. Have a great day. It's all, it's all you have to do. I don't need to know about it all. Just first of all. Second of all, what I also appreciate 
if you're at a gender reveal party, if you can't get a all-pro linebacker to come and deplete someone there at the gender reveal party, if you can't afford that, you can't swing it, you could always find out what it is beforehand and then spoil it for everyone else. I would be supportive of that. Hey, they're having a boy. <laughs> they're stupid. They're dumb. You're stupid. They're dumb. 90% of you agree with me. For some reason, 10% of you don't, and I'm disappointed in, in you that voted against it. Steve on Twitter says, I thought it was a Pepto-Bismol commercial gone wrong and the bathroom line was too long. Ton on Twitter says, that dude will likely sue and be set for life. Thanks for a settlement. I don't think he can sue because I do believe the fine print on the back of your ticket for the NFL events, say if you go like, you know, if you put yourself in the field of play, that you are liable for what happens at the NFL and the team is not. So if you break the rules of jumping onto the field, it's essentially enter at your own risk. And Darren brings that up as well. But he ran on the field. He put himself in danger. They had to stop him. He was in their workspace. But yeah, I, I don't think, I think there's something that the NFL started doing and other sports leagues started doing because fans, you know, act stupid ralph on twitter says and maybe i could use my usl education to spell literally correctly will twitter ever have an <laughs> an edit function ralph i'm waiting on that too buddy ralph also says honestly i think gender reveals are stupid parents literally spend a college education on these things but given the way the poll question is worded let's ask bobby boucher <laughs> darren says let's see it fun to watch not me though i'll watch it and add it to the program Ooh, Justin says, maybe we can get Derrick Henry. Oh, can you imagine 255 pounds, six foot four, predator monster Derrick Henry running at you? You're like, oh, we're going to unveil the, the gender of our child. And then it's, right before it happens, Derrick Henry gets to plant you into the ground. I'd pay, I'd pay money to see that. Joe Cola says, why not? End with the bang. They're pretty dumb and attention-seeking, in my opinion. If you're going to go stupid, go hard. Yes. Should all gender reveals end with the linebacker trucking the dad? 90% of you say yes, 10% say no. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. I got sidetracked, but I promise we'll talk about New Orleans Saints when we come back after this timeout here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, those New Orleans Saints. One in three have looked poorly coached, poorly prepared, and they've just played poorly for four games. They get back home on Sunday to welcome in a 2-2 two and two Seattle Seahawks team that's playing surprisingly better than many expected with Geno Smith at the helm. Now, they did something during the week where they brought back Latavius Murray. Remember him? Great downfield runner. A couple years back, they decided to part ways with Latavius because he didn't want to take a reduction in his salary. They thought Tony Jones Jr. was going to be the answer. Guess what? Tony Jones Jr. was not the answer. And Latavius went to play for Baltimore. Well, Latavius was a free agent. They brought him in. No one else wanted to kick the tires on him. So they brought him in, and he played well in Sunday's game. 
right? Rushed well was a bright spot for them, especially with Alvin Kamara out. Well, he's no longer with the Saints. The Denver Broncos, who had an injury to their number two running back, came in, poached him from the Saints, signed him. He's now to their active roster and is going to be the primary backup now to uh, Melvin Gordon III. Yay! (laughs) Now, the confusion lies in this. The Saints are allowed by NFL that you can take two practice squad players, which Latavius Murray was signed to, and have them play in a game. You can do that to up to two players, and they can still are technically not on the active roster. They're still part of the practice squad. And if you're part of the practice squad, someone can come in and sign you to their active roster and give you more money, and that's exactly what happened with Denver. So a guy that was a big contributor for them and gave them great depth at running back and actually can run the football, unlike Tony Jones Jr., is now with the Denver Broncos. Pretty sure Sean Payton would have never allowed that to happen, but Sean Payton's no longer there. Just want to point that out. The man in charge is Dennis Allen. And, you know, he's got a decision to make for the Seattle game. Is it going to be Jameis Winston? Is it going to be Andy Dalton? And he shared what his approach is going to be for the quarterback. Well, I think the first thing we need to do is find out exactly where Jameis is health-wise before we make any decisions. You know what I mean? So I think that's that's where we're at right now. I don't have complete information on that as we sit here uh, today. Hopefully we'll, you know, get a better feel for exactly where Jameis is you know, over the next 24 hours and then kind of see where we go from there. So it's still leaning towards if Jameis is healthy enough that he's going to be in there. So I'm sure quarterback controversy is exactly what this team needs throughout this season. What about changing up things? Things have not gone well with the start, starting off one and three. Are there any changes that are going to be need to be made starting immediately this week? Look, the key, the key is, is, um, eliminating those things that that uh keep you from winning and and if you can identify that it's um coming from a certain area then i think there's some changes that may need to be made so i think we're going through that process we're evaluating everything um you know we gotta we gotta perform better and 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 we gotta we gotta coach better and so there's there's some things that you know you know, we have to we have to improve on and, and we all have to take ownership in that it starts with me and, and works all the way down through the coaching staff onto the players. And the big thing is the plethora of turnovers and Dennis Allen brought that back home again yesterday about needing to cut those out. Yeah, look, there's certainly, you know, we're going to we're going to incorporate some more turnover takeaway drills. You know, we got to take the ball away more on defense and in the kicking game and we got to protect it better when we're in the return units and and on offense and so again we're gonna we're gonna even make it a bigger point of emphasis in terms of what we're doing in practice plenty of work for dennis allen and his staff to do this week sure does feel like seattle game is a must win if they lose to the seahawks with geno smith at quarterback oh man me oh my crawfish pie Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. 
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Houston Astros lose yesterday, but really not all that relevant. Lance McCullers Jr. pitched well. That's what you like to see, a strong outing from him, even though he got tagged with a loss because Nola was dealing and the Astros opted to not score any runs, which, you know, sometimes you can do that. That's fine. But there are some things that are going on with the Astros that are interesting as they gear up for their postseason run. And to break it all down for us is our friend from the Locked On Astros podcast, Brett Chancey, joins us now here on RP3 and Company. Brett, good morning to you, brother. How are you? You know, I'm doing good. You would think after a loss I'd be all down and, you know, worried about things. But, you know, we're still the number one seed in the American League, and I'm wondering if we can change the word American to Astros League because until we get dethroned, um, it's our game to win or lose. Oh, I love that. I love that. All right, bud. What do you make of what you saw from Lance McCullers' final regular season start before the postseason? I absolutely loved it. You know, he did give up six hits, but only one run. He had five strikeouts. He he had he had spin working. You know, he has been phenomenal at home. And, you know, with this outing and with his home success, I know it's a small sample size since he came back from the injury, but I'm wondering, does this change – how Dusty rolls out the pitching staff. Um, Framber Valdez, I think, earns the number two spot, and they like to go right, left, right, things like that. But I'm wondering if they put Lance McCullers in there second because of his home success versus um, Framber Valdez's road success. They could. I know Dusty does like to, like you say, go righty, lefty, righty, lefty. So that would be interesting to to see. But – I liked what I saw out of McCullers as well. I think he pitched well last night. A guy that did not pitch well, and I wonder if he's going to be able to make the transition. That's Jose Arquiti because once the postseason comes, we know what the rotation is going to be, right? It's going to be Verlander, McCullers, Valdez, and Christian Javier. Arquiti's being moved to the bullpen as a middle reliever. He has tons of playoff experience. But, man, he looked bad last night. And there's a distinct possibility he may not make the ALDS roster, right? Yeah, I honestly don't have him on the ALDS roster. Now, I have the Astros with 12 pitchers, and I wrote about it. And all the listeners will have to go check it out once it's posted um, about the pitchers I like. But I can tell you, with my 12 pitchers, I have Hunter Brown on and for the ALDS. I actually do not have Luis Garcia or Jose Arquiti on there um, in place of some relief pitchers. Now, would the Astros do that? I don't know. But Jose Arquiti, I, I just I think he needs to be used as a starter. The only way you're going to have him as a starter is in an ALCS or a World Series because of the seven-game setup. So, Urquidy very well may not be able to make it uh, make it on the LDS roster, like you mentioned there. Uh, what's happened to him post-All-Star break? He just hasn't been 
he's he's been very hittable. He has given up, I think last night, the two home runs he gave up, gave him 29 and 30 um, on the on the season. Just something about his the placement of his pitches. You know, um, I had talked to Joe Thawne from the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, interviewed him, um, Dickie Thawne's son, and he said the great thing about Jose Arquiti is he throws strikes. He said the other the ungreat thing about a strike-throwing pitcher is if they're not locating their pitches and missing bats. And this year, I mean, I mean, he's given up 29 home runs. That's, that's the most he's given up. Now, of course, he's, he's pitched um, nearly 60-plus more innings than he's ever pitched, and you're wondering if the wear on his arm or this long season has been the culprit of that because he's given up 72 earned runs, um, 38 walks, actually it says 29 home runs updated. And so he, he's just not looking as sharp as he usually is. You know, 7.4 um, strikeouts or 7.3 strikeouts per nine, that's definitely not his best. And I just – I don't know what's going on. I know everybody talks about his three World Series wins and all that stuff, but really for the playoffs, it's what are you doing for me lately because you can't count on past success if someone is struggling. Speaking of past success that you maybe can't count on, Will Smith going to make the ALDS roster? You know what? I have him on there. I have him on there because the reason why the Astros signed him is because of his postseason experience and what he's done. But I have a hard time thinking that he wouldn't be on there. Now, maybe he's one of the guys that, that comes off and they put a Luis Garcia on there and then they save Will Smith for a World Series or... Um, ALCS, but you know, with with my logic, I would be I would be double talking if if I didn't hold him to the same standard. Will Smith hasn't been great; he hasn't been bad. But the one reason why you got him was for the playoffs. So I don't know how much that plays into him versus Urquidy. I don't know that he has the advantage, but I think both of those guys are kind of in the same boat. The more I think about it, we're talking with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. He's also a Weekly columnist for us here at 1037 The Game and 1041thegame.com. His latest will be posted later this morning. Uh, let me ask you about the lineup because Dusty kind of clarified his comments about his guys were going to play, but then he was going to pull them after about five or six innings and let other guys get some reps. You expect that to be the case tonight and for tomorrow's regular season finale? You know, it's funny. That's that's the road he's going down because the last week he's like, it's all hands on deck. My guys are going to play for the integrity of the game. We're going to stay sharp. And so I just thought everybody was going to play every inning of every game they started. And now it's this. And so I'm wondering if they're taking a more balanced approach, which I don't have a problem with that, but I just don't know what kind of rhythm your guys get into. But then again, with five days between the last game and the next, and the next, um, in the first ALDS game, five to seven days, it may not really matter here or there because I believe they're going to be doing some inter-squad scrimmaging. That's kind of the rumor. I haven't heard that for sure. But they're going to have to do something to stay fresh. You know, I need I, I need Lebanis Diaz out there. I need his bat to stay hot because I think he's going to have some key moments. And I'm just wondering what role Hensley's going to play if he's going to be on there. Vasquez, how many games is he going to play in the playoffs? There are, there are a lot of questions I have, and I try to answer those 
um, in that in that article that's that's coming out today. Trey Mancini has not played well uh, overall since being traded, but when I watch him play, he feels like he's close, right? Like it, it's not that he's not getting contact, Brett. It's not like he's just up there and striking out and just looking awful. He's getting the ball. He's getting the bat on the ball. He's just not getting hits. Do you feel like he's close enough? And do you think they're going to be able to count on him for the postseason? I think they are going to definitely give him a longer leash and much more of a chance because of his history, because how good he is, you know, over, over his career. You know, he's hitting 20 points under his career average in the last 30 games. He's only hitting 156. He does have six RBI, two home runs. He does have 15 walks. But add to that, you have 27 strikeouts. Trey Mancini has looked close. You know, when he first came in here, he had hit a few few bombs early. And, you know, Boom Boom Mancini and all these names that came out that kind of transferred from Baltimore. I think you're going to see him in left field a lot. I don't know where else you would put him. I don't think Dusty or the team trust anyone other than Yuli Gurriel to start the majority of first base. So that means Mancini will be in left. And if he's in left, that means Jordan will be DHing. Or if Jordan is in left field, he may DH on the days that Framber pitches in whatever series they're in. I think he's close, but we have to see. The the one thing, he's not he doesn't have any playoff experience. So you wonder how much that plays into it and how much the veteran presence and the most experienced playoff team will add to that and take away from that, you know, it being its first time. Brett, we'll get you out of here with this. When the dust all settles here at the conclusion of the games on Wednesday, how are the wildcard teams going to shake up and who are the Strohs going to be likely facing in the ALDS the following week? I really think that it's – well, it looks like right now, unless something changes, it's going to be Seattle and Toronto duking it out. And the the tricky part for Seattle is it's three games in Toronto. Now, for the Astros, everybody's saying that they would rather face Seattle than Toronto. But Eric made a good point on the podcast, line, podcast last night, and he said, you know, Toronto's pitching – isn't like they've got a couple of headline pitchers, but if our pitchers can neutralize their hitters, okay, um, I think I think we can take Toronto. I don't want to see George Springer back in Minute Maid Park in another uniform, but I think the Mariners may surprise a lot of people, and they could upset the Blue Jays. Um, if they come to town, whatever team wins, this is what the key is, RP3. The key is that the Astros offense shows up. I don't think it matters as much who's on the other side of the field more so than what do the bats do. If the bats show up, I don't think any team in the ALDS, whether it's the Mariners or the Blue Jays, stand a chance. But I'm thinking the Mariners are going to sneak into the ALDS. But that's the key for them. When they've had the postseason disappointments, the bats have gone cold. And that's that's been the biggest thing. The lineup is a murderer's row, but in the postseason, in these World Series matchups that they've lost to NL East teams, the bats go cold, and that's the difference. Exactly, and and that's my point. And that's why I said when when we had listeners watching our show, and they were like, "Who would y'all rather face?" And I'm like, 
to me, it doesn't matter who we face. I want to know, are the bats going to show up? If the bats show up, I would probably rather face the Mariners because we have a winning record, 12-7 and seven against them. Um, but I think this offense working, this starting pitching staff, this relief pitching staff, literally is the absolute best in the American League. And it's tough because it's a playoffs, but it doesn't get super tough, I think, until you make it back to the World Series because the National League has got some weapons. Brett, appreciate your time as always. Are you guys going to do uh, a locked on to wrap up the regular season? And then are you going to take a couple days off? Or are you still going to be putting out a ton of content leading up to the divisional series? So we are putting out as much content as we can. We are still five days a week. We, we don't even shut that down until after the season, in between the end of the season and spring training. So I know we're going to be doing some playoff preview shows. We're going to try to bring on the locked-on host of whatever team we are playing. We may we are going to be doing some player features the week leading up to the ALDS. So people can check us out. We are, we are not taking any rest. We are actually going to be attending. I, my goal is to attend all playoff home games this year for the Houston Astros. I think I can do it. Um, so anyway, so – that's what's happening. Check us out, Locked on Astros. We're your team every day. We got you covered. We'll have some extra content. It'll be fun. And um, as always, go Strohs. Brett, appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy your day, my friend. Thank you. You do the same. While we have a moment here, just a friendly reminder that it's time to kill two birds with one stone. Help a good cause and do some early holiday shopping, and you can do that tonight with the Opelousa St. Landry Rotary Club auction. It's going to be held on KDCG Channel 50.2 over the air, Cox 9, Charter 11, and LUS 22. The auction begins at straight up 6 o'clock. Viewers can bid on a variety of different items, including gift cards, vacation packages, sporting goods, home decor, memorabilia, and so much more. You can even get wedding gifts if you'd like to. I know someone that's getting married soon. All proceeds go to worthy causes, and items go for pennies on the dollar. So look, here's the deal. You can get you some Christmas shopping done, and the profits go to charitable causes. This is a win-win for everyone. So make sure to tune in tonight for the Opelousa St. Landry Rotary Club auction on KDCG. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk to Coach Dez. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 180! What's up? Raging Cajuns head football coach Michael Desimo joins RP3 and company to talk all things Vermillion and White. It's time for Hashtag UL Culture with Coach Dez. Good morning, Coach. How are you doing today, brother? Hey, Raymond, I'm good. How are you? Doing great, man. Doing great. Appreciate you making the time, as always. I know Saturday was disappointing because it ended with a loss, but you have to appreciate the heart and the the fight that your team showed to come back in that game and and make it a, a dramatic game at the end. Definitely showed a lot of heart and fight, even though they came up with a loss. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've said it from the beginning. I feel like we have – I know we've got the right type of kids here, you know, and they, they they worked really hard at it. You know, they've got grit. They've got character. Um, you know, you know, 
certainly there's there are things that we need to continue to do better and play better and 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 we know that certainly um but we're getting closer to where we want to be and you know that team i you know we kind of talked about it yesterday you know with the team and it's like you know you find a way to go out there and go win that game and, and end up on the other end of it you have you know one more point than they do and then today we feel like hey we turned the corner and we made it so you know we're getting closer to being the team that we want to be um we're definitely still a work in progress, but our effort and our toughness has never been questioned, and I'm, I'm proud of them for that. You know, we just gotta, gotta do it more consistently, and, and we'll we'll end up being a pretty good team this year if we can do that. You guys ran the ball effectively, and I know Chris had the the great 55 yard run, but you guys still he went over 100 yards, but you guys seemingly ran the ball the best you have I think all year. Do you feel like your your running attack, which is you know a, a lot of guys have to be involved in that offensive line, wide receivers blocking, running backs hitting the holes, and and, and doing what they need to do? Seems like the running game is starting to kind of come into its own. Yeah, it, well, it certainly did on Saturday. You know, we we were able to run the ball effectively, um, and that was that was huge for us in the game. You know, even the last two drives that we had where we went down the field, I think it was a 13-play and a 17-play drive or a 12-play and 17, something like that. Um, you know, you have to be able to run the football effectively. And for us, you know, I really believe that we're going to have to continue to be able to mix it up, run and pass. You know, I, I just I don't think we can be a one-dimensional offense and have any type of success. So um, that was definitely a good thing. There were some positives in that. Um, you know, and the thing that we talked to our guys about, particularly, you know, especially the offense, we talked about, if, you know, you take five or six drives out of that game where we move the ball really efficiently and effectively, and you say, well, you know, this is this is what we, this is the team that we can be. You know, this is who we this is who we are. We just gotta gotta bottle it up and and just do it consistently throughout the game. And if you do that, you continue to put pressure on defenses and take pressure off of our defense. So, um, the running game, I think made a big difference for us because that was a really good defensive line for them a lot of people have had trouble running the football on them so for us that was definitely a good thing to be able to uh get some movement and get some uh running lanes opened up and for our backs to be able to press them and hit them because uh you know moving forward like I said we're gonna have to be able to do both run it and throw it coach the passing attack is still a work in progress and you've spoke about that and you got two guys out there that are capable that bring uh, a different set of skills uh, to the table and you have a very talented wide receiving core that has some experience it just hasn't all been able to get on the same page sometimes there's miss those sometimes there's drops you know from your perspective as the head coach but also as a former quarterback and a guy who's coached wide receivers just a few years ago what's kind of just missing a little bit there with the passing attack what what are just some of the things that you guys are going to be working on say this week week and a half to kind of get that going yeah um i I think throwing the ball i i think it's harder to be consistent as a passing team than it is as a running team um I, i think when you're when you're good at running the football and you have that identity i think that's a little bit more consistent. Now, certainly, I mean, you're going to have nights where that doesn't go the way you want either. But, uh, you know, whenever you're throwing the ball, there's so many things that go into that. You know, it's, it's quarterback receiver timing and, and cohesion. It's, you know, protection up front with the, the O-line and the, and the running backs. Uh, the tight ends are involved in both, you know, aspects of that. So there's just a lot of things that go into it. And, you know, at times, you know, we had a couple plays the other night where, 
you know, it was you get a double move and, and you lose on protection a little bit late, you know, end up that ends up being interceptions to have a touchdown. Uh, you know, you have somewhere shoot as a play caller. Sometimes they get you matched. You know, they, they've got a good defensive call for it and they got you matched. Um, you know, we had a couple of third downs where, you know, the quarterback and receiver were just, you know, receivers turning out, quarterbacks throwing it in and just, you know, just kind of not quite on the same page. And that was just kind of the way that some of those third downs went, I thought in particular. Uh, you know, I mean, it's part of the game. You know, you're going to miss some when you throw the ball. Uh, I don't want to live in a world where we throw it 50 or 60 times a game where, you know, it doesn't matter if you miss a few. So we just got to continue to work on the timing and the, and, and the precision in which we're doing it. Um, so, you know, it's just a lot of things go into it. Got to protect it better. Quarterbacks got to see it better. And receivers got to make sure they're in the right spots and finish on it. So, you know, everybody's responsible. I've got to make sure that we've got them in, in looks where we got guys that are open. Um, and, you know, we got to hit them when they're there. So, Everybody plays a part in it a little bit. Um, you know, you just continue to work on the timing and making sure that we're getting everybody on the same page so we can go out there and go play pitch and catch and do it a little bit better. Next up is a road trip to Marshall. Huntington is one of the tougher places to play, not only in the Sunbelt Conference, but in the country. It's a great game day atmosphere there. This is an opponent that you know extremely well because you played them in the bowl game. The extra time. How are you and your staff going to utilize that? And, and does that help you, especially when you're having to make a cross-country road trip like you're doing? Um, yeah, I, it certainly helps. I mean, you'd rather do, you'd rather have a long week than a short week uh, to have to go over there and go do that. But, uh, you know, I was kind of talking yesterday in the media, and, and they were asking about, you know, how much more time you get to spend on Marshall. And uh, there's – Tony Dungy has, has a number of books out, but in one of his books he talks about how three days of game planning is all you need for any game. And he said that includes the Super Bowl. And so, you know, I, I do I do kind of subscribe to that a little bit because I, I believe that sometimes as a coach you can overdo it. You know, you can spend too much time on it and you can get yourself to the point where you, you know, essentially, yeah, you, you put too much in because you, you're trying to find all these things that you like and, instead of keeping the game plan, sticking to the numbers that you have or how much you want to carry, run pass, or what have you, you get to the point where you're like, oh, yeah, but we can handle it because we have an extra day. And uh, that can end up being kind of detrimental to your team. So we're actually going to really start our Marshall prep this uh, uh, this morning. Um, the last couple of days have been about our own self-scout, uh, preparing, you know, and really getting some things together for down the line. Because if you look down our schedule – uh, you've got Southern Miss on a short week and Georgia Southern both on short weeks on five-day turnarounds. So uh, you have to do some things to kind of prepare for that a little bit uh, whenever you get there because those five-day turnarounds are brutal. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the way that we've been working through it, just a lot of self-scout, a lot of uh, technical inventory, things that we need to do with our different position groups and things that we've got to work on. Um, and today we'll go out there and we'll have a, you know, a good-on-good good practice, uh, kind of a, fall camp type format and you know we still got a lot of work to do so we're going to go and, and cut it loose and try to try to get some things fixed and work on us first because uh at the end of the day yes marshall is a really good football team there's a lot of good football teams in our on our schedule in this conference but it's really it's about us you know we've got to take care of our business and do it uh and take care of our business first and then the opponent is really just secondary coach appreciate your time as always Enjoy the week of preparation, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. Thank you. Thanks, Raymond.
we got to take a time out here in RP3 and company. When we return, we'll keep the college football conversation rolling right along as we'll talk to Bill Bender from the Sporting News, award-winning columnist and reporter. We've got lots to talk about, especially national when it comes to college football. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. It's another year and another year of a flurry of coach buyouts going on in college football. The Wisconsin coach, Coach Chris, was the latest one to be essentially fired and given a bunch of money to go away and not coach the team. And we're getting a ton of this already this year. Nebraska, Scott Frost, Herm Edwards at Arizona State. The Herm Edwards situation, you had staffers leaking information to other teams and the media. Not a great sign. What do we make of this? Huge payouts for coaches not to coach. And why is this happening more often? Why does it feel like athletic directors are having a quicker uh, trigger finger, so to speak, when it comes to making these decisions? To share his insight, one of the best college football reporters, columnists in the country, joins us now, Bill Bender, our friend from the Sporting News. Bill, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Let's start with the Wisconsin decision. I, look, I, I like him as a coach, and he's had some pretty good success there at Wisconsin. I know the standard is high, and I know they haven't played well last year, and they haven't played well to start this year. Were you surprised by the decision to get rid of Coach Chris? On some level, yeah. But, I mean, the Ohio State game kind of eliminated the fact that they – they aren't even close. Right. You know, they normally would be at least in a fist fight with, with Ohio State for a little bit. Um, 20 and 15 since 2020. COVID 19 really tripped that program up. And I think they're looking to the future. And rather that future is Jim Leonard, who's going to get an audition now, or are they going to get in the Lance Leopold sweepstakes, which I think they should. That's a guy that, uh, you know, Obviously, is having a lot of success at Kansas. Won six national championships in Division Two or Division Three. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, those are options for them moving forward. We've already had several big name programs make changes, and this is the same thing happened last year as well. Bill, what do you make of not only the huge payouts that these coaches are getting for not coaching and AD signing off on these buyout clauses, but then athletic directors in general? not waiting until the offseason to make a change. They're making changes a quarter into a season. Well, I just think the hiring cycle's moved up with the recruiting calendar, with the transfer portal. I basically feel like in the past, this would start in November. Right. You know, you'd start to have a couple fires, right? Now I think September 1st is, that's when it begins. Um, we've had five already. Five Power 5 coaches gone by uh, Halloween last year and I was pointing out that you know the the programs that did that look at them this year USC has Lincoln Riley LSU better shape with Brian next Kelly I mean aside from the opener they're in really good shape um, Washington State you know they're a better program right now with Jake Dickert so I, I think those are the type of this, things that are going into these decisions it makes sense, and that way they can go ahead and start laying the groundwork to get their guys that they want to take over and not get left with a you know empty bag, so to speak. 
Uh, Bill, let's talk about some of the teams out there. And I want to talk about the Big 12. Kansas is having a tremendous season. Uh, K-State is having a really good season as well. Oklahoma, meanwhile, isn't. Uh, What do you make of what's going on in the Big 12? And do you think Kansas and K-State have a legitimate shot of winning that conference? Yeah, I mean, I think just about anybody does. It's really wide open. There's parity. Oklahoma and Texas aren't monsters. Like, so that's opened the door for Kansas to have this season and TCU um, to have the season that they're having. I actually think TCU is a really good bet to win the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, and ba- I mean, even Baylor, who lost the game. But right now, I still think the favorite in the conference, Oklahoma State, you know, Spencer Sanders, they'll probably lose a game in there somewhere, but they're, they're the ones that are taking care of business. They, uh, beat Baylor of the weekend on the road and uh they got a veteran quarterback in Spencer Sanders who can beat you in the air and beat you on the ground so very good team that they have and but a very wide open conference there's not one dominant team it kind of makes the big 12 fun to watch I agree with you it makes it fun to watch because you have all these other teams vying for the conference championship which I like Oklahoma has ruled the roost for so long and did so under Bob Stoops, and then Dick carried that over with Lincoln Riley. You know, Brent Venables gets his opportunity here. Uh, what ails when you watch Oklahoma? What stands out to you about why they're struggling? I mean, just defense. I mean, you can't give up. I mean, when you give up 660 yards and big plays and everything that happened in that TCU game, and you know those. Other Big 12 schools aren't going to feel sorry for them. Not with them going to the SEC. <laughs> not with them, uh, no. you know, changing it up. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there'll be much mercy. So, they've got to make the transition to that, all of that. With a new coach, it's not easy. And, um, I mean, defensively. And then, you know, on offense, they're they're good. But, you know, Dylan Gabriel has been okay. And when he got knocked out of the game last week, that was ugly. So, I mean, they've got a lot of issues, but they're just not a national championship-type program right now. Texas is also struggling, but some of that is due to injuries, in particular at the quarterback spot. But I can't remember the last time, Bill, that the Red River shootout is going to feature an unranked Oklahoma team and an unranked Texas team. And and that's just – I can't remember the last time that happened. Yeah, 1998, apparently. So I don't even remember that game, so that's probably why. But then, <laughs> you know, after that, Mac Brown made it a big-time event. So, I mean, I guess that's the pressure on Brent Venables and the pressure on Steve Sarkeesian to maintain that. I mean, even when it was Stoops and Charlie Strong, it was still a big game. Or Tom Herman, they had a couple ranked games. So it'll be interesting to see when that goes to the SEC, and I'm writing about this this week for us, is uh, where does that game fit among the SEC big games? I mean, like, if it was on the SEC schedule this week, it would be behind A&M Alabama, behind Tennessee LSU. Um, how, how much importance will this game have, or will it just be a regional rivalry when it gets to the SEC? Mm, it's, a good, it's, a fair, it's a fair point. We're talking with Bill Bender the award-winning reporter columnist covering college football for the Sporting News. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. All right, let's shift to the ACC and Clemson. Slow start offensively, 
right? Uh, they were trying to find their way. But in the last few weeks, it sure does feel like they found their offensive identity. Do you feel more confident in Clemson uh, not only kind of winning the ACC, but also getting into the college football playoff more so now than maybe you did in the beginning of the season? Oh, I think I had them at the beginning of the season. So, uh, I mean, uh, I actually, my playoff is intact. It's the same old boring playoff. It's Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. So, um, but yeah, I think beat NC State, they beat Wake Forest. They answered questions about DJ Uangalele, yeah. quarterback. He's improving. He's not like a superstar, but he's good enough, right? Like, he's just he's good enough. And, and with that team around him, he's good enough to win one. Um, I, I think that th- those wins were huge because they have a leg up, and those are the two other best teams in the conference. So the other thing that, that stands out is Clemson just doesn't lose at home. They don't lose at home. So if you can't beat Clemson at home, you're not going to win an ACC championship. And I love how the narrative was that Clemson had a bad year last year, and then you're like, oh, yeah, they won double-digit games and were ranked in the top 25. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I mean, that, that's a different time zone, right? Everybody wants to pronounce this Dabo and Clemson as yesterday's news, and they want them done, and I just don't – I don't know if they're good enough to beat Alabama and Georgia, but I think they're good enough to compete, and yeah. their defense is pretty good. So, you know, I just take a, I've taken a different view with them. I'm not that what Dabo's been able to accomplish there is pretty amazing, and I think DJ Yongalele is playing some pretty good football right now. You mentioned Georgia. You know, a couple weeks back they. Uh, slipped up and let Kent State put some points up on them and put up some yardage. And people are like, ah, you know, they're just sleepwalking against an inferior opponent, you know, opponent that they're going to give a large check to. But, man, they had their hands full Saturday against, uh, let's be honest, a bad Missouri team. Is this just championship hangover, just sleepwalking against inferior opponents with Georgia, or do you see something that makes them maybe a little vulnerable right now? I mean, within the numbers, like, their running game's still decent. Their their quarterback, that's Bennett's playing all right. He didn't have a great game against Mizzou, but um, up front they were getting beat up a little bit by Missouri's defensive line. And uh, the defense isn't last year's defense. That's not to say they're not elite. That just last year's defense was so good that it's hard to say, hey, these guys are uh, you know um, on that level. I, I think. George is fine. You know, they, they, there is a little bit of hangover to it, it feels like. But they, they're, they'll turn it up here. They're going to have some big games here very soon. I think they'll turn it up this week against Auburn um, at Brian Harson's expense. Oh, yeah, because he's going to be the next coach to be bought out. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think he's going right. to make it toward the end of the season. Uh, I surely don't think about that. Uh, let's talk Alabama because – they looked vulnerable in the opener. You and I talked about that against Texas. And then they played kind of a softer schedule, got back on track. They raced out to the big lead against Arkansas. And then credit Sam Pittman and company because they had struggled in the third quarter all year, Bill. And they roared back there. And and the fans there in Fayetteville just kind of came alive after Bryce Young got you know injured in that game and got out of the game. But then Alabama responded like they typically do 
What do you make of what you're seeing from the Crimson Tide? And can they keep winning if Bryce Young can't be their starting quarterback? I mean, yeah, because they showed they could win without him. That game got tight, or, uh, tight and then Milrow made the big plays. Gibbs made the big plays. I don't know. They're not better without Bryce Young. There's no question about that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a, I still think – you know, they, they got moved up to number one, and that was fair because to go into Arkansas and win the way that they did, answer any questions about whether or not they can win on the road convincingly. Um, defense is nasty around Will Anderson, Dallas Turner. They still got to clean up the penalties. That's, that's probably their biggest weakness right now. They commit way too many penalties for a Nick Saban coach team. I agree, and you can see him getting frustrated with like Toto and some of the other guys with the unnecessary penalties especially on the defensive side of the football and look they're going to get tested and uh Tennessee you know that should be one heck of a game later this month let's talk about that and we'll wrap up our conversation with Bill Bender LSU sneaks into the top 25 in the AP poll at 25 they're going to welcome in Tennessee with man as good as he is as good as he's been playing sure does feel like we don't talk enough about Tennessee's starting quarterback Josh Heupel has done a tremendous job there on Rocky Top. What do you make of this matchup between the Tigers and the Vols? And what do you make of Tennessee in general this year? Yeah, it's a big two-week stretch for Tennessee. I mean, uh, you know, obviously they're in, they beat Florida, hung on to win that one. Now they go to LSU. They haven't beat LSU since 05. And it's Alabama. They haven't beaten them in 15 years. So this is their chance. And, uh, the good news is Hendon Hooker has been really good at the controls. Doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. Super efficient with the football. Um, their offense is top five in the country for a reason. So, yeah, I mean, this is their opportunity to really make put themselves in the conversation. And, you know, I, I think it just starts this week. They can't peek ahead. LSU obviously improved. Um, playing great football. You know, I, playing great football, but considering what happened in the opener, I mean, they're a Walked extra point away from an overtime that would have had a chance to be undefeated. So, yeah, this is a fun game. I'm surprised it's at noon, but uh, it's a fun day for the SEC in general with the noon 3.30 and 8 o'clock window. Bill, appreciate your time as always. Keep up the tremendous work you're doing with the Sporting News, my friend. Enjoy the weekend of action, and we'll talk to you soon, brother. Hey, no problem, Raymond. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Yeah, Tennessee is interesting because they beat Florida, but they haven't beat LSU in forever, and they haven't beat Alabama in forever, and they get to play all those this month. So we're going to find out a lot about the Volunteers. And here's the thing about the game Saturday. Look, we have question marks about LSU's offense and how they utilize the wide receivers and Jane Daniels' health and the offensive line not doing a great job at blocking. But LSU's defense is legit. Absolutely legit. You got guys that are going to be first-round, second-round draft picks on that side of the football. Tennessee hasn't faced a defense like that yet. Just saying. You know, they haven't got over the hump. They beat Florida. That's great. I know it's going to be early, and I know LSU fans are upset with the early kick. But this is going to be a huge test for Tennessee. And they haven't faced a defense like this. 
LSU's led by their defense, could give them a shot Saturday in Death Valley. Got to take a timeout. Wrap up hour number two, update that poll question of the day. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day was inspired by what happened during Monday Night Football last night where a fan decided to run on the film on the field and light a pink smoke bomb. I We assume it's for a gender reveal reason and then was promptly depleted, trucked by Bobby Wagner. Thank you, Bobby, for that. Should all gender reveals end with a linebacker trucking the dad? That's our poll question of the day. (laughs) It's time to unveil. And then just see the dad just speared. 84% 84 of you say yes. 16% say no. Brad brings up a good point on Twitter. Says no because it's the moms that are behind these dumb things can't truck them though that's why you truck the dad instead is why doug says was a beautiful thing to see maybe this will keep the knuckleheads off the field josh says how about truck both mom and dad because gender reveals are a thing (laughs) keep those votes coming keep those comments coming as well on facebook and twitter once again should all gender reveals end with a linebacker trucking the dad yes or no we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, our fourth and final guest of the day will join us. Oh, the other three were great, but this one's a legend. The great Gazzolo from Lake Charles will join us to talk all things McNeese. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, is the show back on? I I wasn't aware. I thought maybe you and the great Gazzolo were still chopping it up, talking about gender reveal parties or haunted house attractions or I don't know. I mean, do I just need to step aside and let you host the the final hour and just have you and Jimbo (laughs) discuss things, whatever that is you're discussing? We were discussing disappearing and reappearing dogs in my misfortunes of my car. Thank you very much. Had to update Jim with my life. Did you ask him about how proud he is of the job Tony La Russa did with his Chicago White Sox this year? I, I was trying to keep him happy. So <laughs> he did not. And Justin Fields and the Bears deciding to have a quarterback play like it's 1948 type of football. Oh, oh here we are. Hour number three. <laughs> and joining us now is our fourth and final guest. Look, the other three were great. This guy's a legend. It's the great Gazzolo from the late Charles American Press, Poke Nation, and the man who hosts the McNeese Coaches Show every Wednesday night right here on The Game, our friend Jim Gazzolo. Bud, how you doing? I think you've been a little rude today, but that's, we'll move on. <laughs> uh, 
Bud. You could have, you could have stopped at any one of the Larusa, Justin Fields, nineteen forty. You could have stopped at any one of them and been okay. But no, you had to dig. You had to dig. I just I just don't understand the. Off- I just look. I like you and I have discussed this about your about your guy Justin Fields. But man, I don't understand the brain trust Justin, here. Okay, that's it. That's it. Justin Fields on Sunday afternoon was ten for sixteen for one sixty three when he wasn't pressured. However, he was pressured more than any quarterback in the NFL, and he only had like forty nine dropbacks where he wasn't under pressure. The problem is not him yet. It could be, but just like Mitch Trubisky. It, we don't know yet because the rest of the team stinks. Nobody gets open, and nobody can block. How about lining them up in the shotgun there, bud? How about that? They do line them up in the shotgun. Mm. Uh. They, 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 I'm, I'm being serious. If I, and this is interesting because this is, this is me being a professional now for you. If I had to parallel them with anybody, it would be Belize. Oh, look Able at that transition. Football. Able to run the football, but without weapons to help a quarterback, so we don't know if the quarterback's any good. <laughs> I think Justin Fields now is pretty good. That's a segue, baby. That is a segue. Look at you. I'm so proud of you. Oh, I'm so you proud. Didn't, we didn't even mention the dog, the dog. The dog coming back was on my end, by the way. There we go. There we go. All right. So let's talk about the Cowboys. and We, we can spend all day talking about your Bears or Mitchell Trubisky. It's working out well for him in Pittsburgh. Um or- or and, the double doink in New Orleans, and now takes the Bears off the hook. <laughs> Let's talk about McNeese. Look, we, we knew they were going to be overmatched a little bit, taking on Incarnate yeah. Word, because you know Incarnate Word is a little is ahead of them. We understand that this is a transition season. What was your big takeaway from the Southland Conference opener between the Cowboys and whatever Incarnate Word is, Cardinal or Cardinals or Birds or whatever Cardinals. they are. Whatever they uh, are. Very simply, I, I think Incarnate Word has playmakers. I McNeese mean, doesn't. On the outside, especially in a quarterback. And those are the two biggest things. McNeese ran the ball very well. It's twenty eight, you know, it's twenty eight twenty in the fourth quarter, and McNeese has the ball. But when push came to shove, Taylor Grimes made every big catch, including the fourth and eleven late in the first half. And McNeese dropped two touchdown passes in the end zone. Both of them would have been really good catches, but Taylor Grimes makes those catches. What do you make of quarterback play? Again, sacked six times, um, made some throws, and missed some throws. Uh, But, you know, if you add the two touchdown passes that should have been caught, you suddenly look at a 200-yard, two-touchdown game, and he's playing well with the team that's running the football. Those aren't made. He did not turn the ball over, Knox Kadem. But, again, he it's the misreads and the missed opportunities that are the bigger deal. And that that's what th- this team just doesn't have playmakers that help him out, and he's not good enough to be a Lindsey Scott and dominate a game on his own. You mentioned the playmakers on the outside, okay? Uh, Mason yeah. Pierce, I've seen play football. He, he's a playmaker. Yeah. I know yeah. Uh, Deonta McMahon is a playmaker. Yeah. I know they're undersized. I get that. They're not the big body wide receivers, and it, it, they can't do what Matthews is supposed to do. 
out there at the wide receiver position. Uh, why not kind of utilize their speed, their shiftiness into more of a screen game and just let them get the yards after the catch and have them do something after the fact and have them well, they, play I, on I the outside? They do. they do, and we saw that. Matthew or, um, McMahon had a couple of screens that were nice plays. Pierce had five catches, but eventually the safeties come up and dare you to throw deep. And when you do and you get a one-on-one in the end zone, your big two receivers have to make the catch. And in both instances, they got out fought for by the ball by a smaller defensive back. Ooh. That's what I mean by making the plays. They, they would have been great catches. Don't get me wrong. They're 50-50 balls, but in the 50-50 balls, McNeese went over two. So, where Grimes makes two tap uh, toe taps in the back of the end zone to save overthrows, and that's 14 points and 14 points the other way. It's just uh, they don't have enough playmakers where the other guys do. Is the biggest, uh, the, the I guess, how that's noticed more than anything, how that stands out rather, is it with the offensive skill position guys more than anything else when they're on the field? Yeah. That- and maybe some defensive backs in this game. Um, but, yeah, it's it's, a, it's the, the difference in the amount of people on the outside that can make plays, the numbers. And that's always been the case. Uh, they just don't have – look, I, they haven't played great at times. At times they've played very well against good competition. We saw a little bit of Rice. We saw a little bit at Montana State. We saw a little bit at Carnot Word. But those are three teams we didn't think they would win. If they had beaten Elkhorn, that's that's the game. If they had beaten Elkhorn, we'd say they're right on schedule at two and three because they weren't going to beat any top ten team in FBS, FCS, and they weren't going to beat the FBS team. Now comes the problem of what are they going to do the rest of the year against six winnable games where five are winnable. If you take out uh, Southeastern, who never plays well in Lake Charles, but if you take out Southeastern, their competition is five and nine, five and eighteen, or five and seventeen. Uh, so it's not like they're playing the eighty-five Bears or somebody. What do they do now as they move into a part of the schedule where we all thought they could make some hay? Do they go four and two? Do they go three and three? Do they go, you know, one and five and it's a dumpster fire of a year? That that's where I think this season will be made or broken after the bye. We already knew what was going to happen in the beginning, the Alcorn State game notwithstanding. What do they do against the rest of the league where nobody has a winning record? No one else has a winning record, but a lot of those teams are just like McNeese. They've played other competition. They've taken money games and everything like that. So they may be better, or they're probably better than their record suggests. So – that being said, this is well, we a bye week. That, we thought that, but I don't know about Nichols now because they just get beat by Northwestern State. Yeah, Northwestern State may be better, but they're not on the schedule. So, McNeese uh, doesn't. They got beat by Grambling. <laughs> I, 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 I understand that, but Jim McNeese lost to Alcorn State. I, what I'm, yeah, what I'm saying is they're looking at McNeese and saying we could beat them, and they're saying we could beat them. That's why I want to see what they do. Okay. Northwestern State goes to your Eastern Illinois this weekend. It's not my Eastern Illinois. I didn't attend <laughs> Eastern Illinois. I partied at Eastern Illinois. I did not attend Eastern Illinois. There's a difference. I'd just like to point that is out. There, is there 
really when you're in college. Oh, that's, that's true. I mean, I was partying there in high school, but that's a discussion for another day. So <laughs> it's a different time. It was a different time. I was a different person. So, so what's the? I guess what's the? What's the mindset right now for Coach Golf and his team during the bye week? I mean, obviously they know they have deficiencies against uh, across the offensive line. They know they don't have the skill guys in the, the secondary and in the wide receiving room. But you're speaking confidently like, well, the rest of the Southland is down, so maybe they have a chance. So I guess what's the mindset during the bye week? Well, I'm, I'm saying they have a chance because the rest of the Southland is down. Uh, the rest of the Southland is saying we got a chance because McNeese is down. Don't get me wrong. I don't. I'm not predicting a six and zero run here. What I'm saying is, we'll see what they, how far down the ladder they are at the end of this. Are they a fifth or sixth place team, or are they a third place team in a very bad league? Um, I think they're. I think Lisa's mindset is still the same: development, try to get better, and try to find out what you got, so you know what to and what you don't have, so you know what to have to go out and get. This week they'll practice a couple of times, but this week they have. All the coaches will be out, mostly at junior college games, looking for receivers and looking for quarterbacks. That is, I, I was told, that is the number one what we're looking for when we go out. We're looking for talent, but we really want to see quarterbacks and we want to see receivers. So it's a recruiting week this week. Uh, it's a regrouping week. Um and we, we, they did not practice yesterday. We, we will see what they sound like today. And are they confident or are they beat up? And, and that's really, has he, as long as they don't lose the team, that's the thing. Um, because that's what we've seen here in the past is all of a sudden four losses become six losses right. because the team just kind of, eh. Right. You got to spend this week having being optimistic and keeping them positive and you know pointing out yeah. like you said look the, the Southland there's no doubt about it the Southland is down this year we're seeing teams struggle um to just kind of get things going whether that's Southeastern whether that's Nichols we are looking at, at teams struggling in the league so one game does not make a season as we know and we also know yeah. and I, I think everyone understands this is a transition year. This is a, fan, a foundation year. So you're learning about your team, what you really have when the lights are on and what you don't have, right? And I, I think that's part what of it, too. you don't have, especially. Right. What do you make yeah. of them? All right, they'll come out of the break, and they'll get to play at home against Texas A&M Commerce. Uh, yeah. That'll be the uh, conference home opener for the Cal Pokes. What can you Homecoming. tell us? about the competition well this, this is this is where we go into we go into some unknowns commerce is is two and two um they uh have beaten an nia school oh there it is and they have i'm sorry i said there it is nia always gotta love those on the schedule yeah and, and same with hcu the, the, if you look at, you know, HCU has a win against an NAIA school and 0-5 Lamar. Uh, this is what I mean by we don't really know because of who you had to play for money games and who you still are beating up on, who is good and who is not. Um, I, I can say this. If you look at scores, McNeese was a lot closer in the fourth quarter 
to Incarnate Word than Southern Illinois or Nevada. What does that mean? Well, it could mean that, you know, Incarnate Word didn't take them seriously. Uh, it could mean a lot of different things. Um, but until we start playing each other, we don't know where anybody is at. I think they'll come out against Commerce. I think you're going to see them run the football and then still try to establish some type of a passing game and try to see if they can – because they can run the football with their offensive line. They just can't pass block because uh, they're not athletic enough. They're big enough to push. They're not athletic enough to dance. And that is what we're finding out is athletes and speed really having a hard time with them. They, they, that's, that's their killer. So if you, have, if you have some athletic speed linemen especially, you're going to get to the McNeese quarterback. Brother, what you got planned this week for the Lake Charles American Press? I know you got something cooking. It's the bye week. I know you got something special that you're going to be having. What you're working on this week? What can the people look forward to reading in the Lake Charles American Press this coming weekend? Well, yeah, today it was women's basketball. Tomorrow it is men's basketball as they have their press conference today. Then when we get back to football, it will be uh, a look at what the second half is going to be. We're also going to have a look back at uh, 20 years ago. They're going to celebrate at homecoming the national championship runner-up team. I think we're planning on doing a little story on them, perhaps. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Justin Fields in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> and talk and why about why does it like Tony Larusa? And we'll talk about you know how the Bears are determined uh, to waste in not develop yet another quarterback. A tradition like well, none right, other right, there in the Windy you're, City. You're missing the point about all this. This is a Bears tradition, like you know, like the Masters, like like <laughs> any other. A Bears tradition is not to have quarterbacks. No, we eat our, and also the media in Chicago eats its quarterbacks. Oh, that that it does. That it does. Hey, at least Just the Bears. Hey, let them have a year to go six and eleven and see where we're at. At least the Bears aren't the Washington Commanders. So you can always take solace in that, my friend. Hope you have a tremendous. Team to have a double doink. Huh, what now? <laughs> We're not the last team to have a double doink. No, 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 no. You're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. So there you go. Get you that, can... get that off my resume. Yeah, you can hang your hat on that, my friend. All right, bud. Enjoy <laughs> your day. We'll talk to you later. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the great one. We got to take a timeout. But before we do, hey need to remind you about the Rotary Club auction because it's time to kill two birds with one stone. Help a good cause and do some early holiday shopping. The Opelousa St. Landry Rotary Club auction is going to be tonight on KDCG Channel 50.2 over the air, Cox 9, Charter 11, and LUS 22. The auction begins at 6 p.m. and viewers can bid on a variety of different items. Listen up all those people that are trying to buy gifts for Hannah Five Names' wedding. Gift cards, vacation packages, sporting goods, home decor, memorabilia, and so much more. All proceeds go to worthy causes, and items can go for pennies on the dollar. So make sure to tune in for the Opelousa St. Landry Rotary Club auction tonight, starting at 6 on KDCG. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll update that poll question of the day. That's all next right here. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Soccer? Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. 
but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines of gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you or a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. So what happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out there and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 in the game, 1037 and 1041, reminds you call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Let's talk a little LSU football. Big game for them this Saturday. Early kick, 11. Tiger fans not happy about it. I understand. But it's a great opportunity. Being 4-1, and one, ranked number 25 in the country, is a great step. Great step for Brian Kelly. But it's only going to get harder. Got a trip to Florida next Saturday. Then after that, homecoming against Ole Miss. Bama. Arkansas, A&M, still on the schedule. Tennessee comes to town, and the Volunteers are, well, they're ranked in the top 10, number eight team in the country in both polls, undefeated. Josh Heupel in his second year has done a tremendous job. They may have the best quarterback in the conference, and yes, I said that, and I understand Bryce Young won the Heisman last year. Defensively, they've gotten better up front, but on the back end, they're a little suspect. Could be some opportunities there. Early morning kick. Tennessee hasn't beat LSU and Baton Rouge in quite a long time. Have an opportunity to make a statement, a statement win, if you will, and improve to 3-0 in SEC play and shoot up the top 25 rankings. But they have some injuries, and the offense has looked, let's be honest, a little wonky. In particular, this last game against Auburn, not getting the wide receivers or the tight ends really involved. Low numbers for everyone. Jack Besh had only one catch. Kayshawn Butte only had one catch. The passing game was, let's be honest, pedestrian, and that's being nice. Coach Brian Kelly addressed how they're going to try to get the wide receiver and tight ends more involved. That it starts with putting together um, a comprehensive plan that can be repeated uh, in the game. And uh, the guy that has his hands on the ball is the quarterback. And he's going to get most of the notoriety when we do well. And he's going to get a lot of the blame when it doesn't go well. So uh, the quarterback is part of this. Uh, The wide receivers have got to be better at attention to detail. Their routes have to be better. We've got to throw it better and catch it better. There were probably five or six, and you probably can all remember them, where there needed to be a little bit better of a throw and a little bit better of a catch. And so that also goes to play calling. We, we've got to be able to look at 
Are these the plays that we can repeat? You know, another thing that has stood out through this first quarter point of the season, a little bit more than a quarter point of the season, is that Kayshawn Butte is really not part of the offense. He has less than 100 yards receiving. He's fifth on the team, fourth or fifth on the team in receptions and yardage. He has no touchdowns. This guy's an All-American, first-round draft pick, and he's not involved. Now, I will say this, and Brian Kelly has said all the right things. I think part of the issue with this offense goes back to the fact of Kayshawn hasn't worked with Jaden. Go back. Kayshawn burst onto the scene as a freshman, and he played a little bit with Miles Brennan, and he played a little bit with T.J. Finley. But once they made the switch to Max Johnson and Terrace Marshall Jr. opted out for the rest of the season, Kayshawn became the focal point of the passing attack, and he and Max had great chemistry, record-setting chemistry. He set the SEC record for receiving yards in a game with more than 300 against Ole Miss as a freshman. Last year, he was on pace to being an all-conference All-American as well with Max Johnson as his quarterback. Before he got injured, remember, only played six games, had the ankle injury that shut him down for the rest of the year. This offseason, he didn't go through spring football. He didn't practice with Jaden Daniels because he was recovering from surgery to fix his ankle. Then there was the flirtation. Is he going to go to Alabama? Is he going to transfer? They kept him. So he hasn't had all those reps. Like he had that chemistry with Max Johnson because he and Max practiced together during that summer. So when Max took over as the starting quarterback, he had a rapport with him already built in. He doesn't have that with Jane Daniels. Now, Jane's got to do a better job, and they got to do a better job of getting the ball to Kayshawn. But you see who leads the team in receptions and receiving yards. It's Malik Neighbors, who Jane Daniels practiced with in spring football. That matters. It just does. Brian Kelly was asked about Kayshawn's struggles so far this season. Yeah, I mean, I think that's – look, I mean, part of this is building – trust with a new quarterback um you know obviously we're trying to get him the football um he's getting a lot of double coverage um you know we're still winning he's happy that we're winning look all those guys that make decisions about who the best receivers are in the country um are still going to look at Kayshawn and go that's a really really good wide receiver um numbers are numbers um at the end of the day, uh, he's going to continue to play this game at the next level, and the numbers won't dictate where he gets drafted. Uh, it's his ability to continue to play the game at the highest of levels. And when you turn on the film and he's running full speed and he's beating guys and the ball didn't come to him for some whatever reason, that's out of his control. So what Kayshawn continues to do better each and every week is he controls what he can control. And he does that in practice now, and he does that in games. Um, he was happy we won the football game. Um, would he like the ball more? Absolutely. Would I like to get it to him more? Absolutely. Um, but he's handled, themselves, uh, he's handled himself in the right way, uh, and he continues to work for the team. I'm just going to be brutally honest. I, I respect Brian Kelly for saying that, but that's a coach saying that 
to let everyone know and to put it out there. Hey, our guy's running his routes. We're just not getting him the ball, so his draft stock shouldn't be hurt. So, you know, there's no reason for him to say want to opt out for the rest of the season. Sure does sound that way to me. Now, I think we read too much into body language on the sidelines. A lot has been made about that. I see Kayshawn celebrating with his teammates and smiling in the locker room after the game on Saturday. I saw it. So, if he's happy and they're winning, I don't think it's an issue. But I do think they need to get Kayshawn Butte more involved into the passing attack. And uh, one more here before we hit our timeout. You know, their defense has been very good. They got guys that are going to be playing on Sunday. B.J. Ojolari, the SEC Defensive Lineman of the Week. Phenomenal, right? They got some dogs on that side. But they're going to be tested, in particular, the secondary. And Brian Kelly was asked, hey, how does their offense, the high-powered offense that Tennessee brings into Tiger Stadium, how's it going to affect the plan they're going to have on defense? Yeah, you got to get your cleats in the ground and you got to go play. So in one instance, they can't do a lot of things either, right? So if they're going to snap the ball with 20 seconds on the clock, there's not a lot of motion. There's not a lot of changing of formations. They've got to line up right and left too. So to play fast allows you, you know, obviously a, a pretty clean look at what you're getting. But on the other side, you're right. You can't do a lot defensively. But what you can do is get your cleats in the ground, line up, uh, play fast, play free, and play physical. Uh, and that's what we'll have to do against a, a really good uh, Tennessee offense. Once again, 11 o'clock kick. Pre-game will begin at 9 o'clock. That means no under the dome of CD this coming weekend as we'll have LSU pre-game and the game itself live right here on the game this Saturday. I'll be in the house in Tiger Stadium covering it as well. It's a battle of top 25 opponents. Should be a good one. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll update the poll question of the day. Oh, and then could there be some talk about a certain program that you can stream on Disney Plus now that involves dancing? Ah, there, there's Pablo. There's, yeah, there's, that's coming up too. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. Oh, man, we're having a good time on this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite quartz and marble in Acadiana. And look, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, your man caves, and even the she sheds. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free showers. That's right. No hassle, no muss, no fuss to deal with the grout. And guess what? No smelly odor either. 
Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. So visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Update on the poll question of the day. Should all gender reveals end with a linebacker trucking the dad? I am for this 110%. First of all, gender reveals, I'm over them. I'm over them. Just find out what the sex of your kid's going to be. It's a private moment for you and your wife or your husband to have, and then you can tell everyone what you're having. That way they can buy you pink or blue clothes. I'm not into this whole thing of popping balloons and smoke bombs and paintball and explode, whatever. What happened last night during the Monday night football game was glorious to watch a guy, which we believe is doing a gender reveal on the field, runs onto the field of a football game, lights up a pink smoke bomb, and then promptly gets depleted by Bobby Wagner. Thank you, Bobby, for that. So, should all gender reveals end with a linebacker trucking the dad? 84% of you say yes, 16% say no. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Now, you didn't get to see that moment live on television because they cut away from it because that's what they typically do. But you saw it on social media, which was fine for me because I was on my phone watching the game following along Monday Night Football because as we've established here on RP3 and Company, Monday nights are not for football watching at the Parch Casa. No, 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 no. At 7 o'clock sharp, we turn on Disney Plus for Dancing with the Stars. The wife gets to watch Dancing with the Stars. The daughter gets to watch Dancing with the Stars. We have our daughter in dance. And Raymond gets to sit in his recliner with his phone in his hand tracking football and occasionally looking up for the dancing. Now, it was James Bond night, which intrigued me. Gave me a little something to pay attention to, right? I'm a big James Bond fan, love all the movies. I had to do some explaining to the wife about, you know, what they were doing. Because she's, you know, well, she's not into James Bond. That being said, just like it's been for every week, there's three right at the top, and then everyone else is kind of second tier and then lower tier. The TikTok girl, whose mama's on the show too, I don't know their names, please. I, I can't. I, I don't have enough Charlie space. Charlie is a TikTok girl, and her mother's name is Heidi. Carly and Heidi? Charlie. Charlie? Charlie? Okay. So Charlie, the TikTok sensation, who is by far the best dancer of the celebrities right now. She did really well. Wayne Brady did really well with the little blonde girl who's won before. He did really well. But the Bachelorette, I don't know her name. Gabby. There we go. Thank you. The Bachelorette, she had a very nice dance late in the program. I think right now the TikTok girl, Charlie, is the best celebrity dancer. That said... I think The Bachelorette, who I've learned from watching Dancing with the Stars, apparently was a former cheerleader in the NFL. She has athletic ability. 
she may have a higher ceiling, if you will, and she may be the one to beat later on during the season. And you have the good story, Selma Blair, God bless her. She, it's an inspiration to see her out there dancing, but you already got her with the service dog out there. She's going to be limited. I don't know if she's going to be able to make it through the grind of a weekly dance competition for, what, three months? Yep. I, 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 I don't see it. I just don't see it. And then everyone else is kind of in the middle. So I, you watched Dancing with the Stars last night. How, how did you How did you feel about it? I mean, I was the same with you. I did think that the top three should have been the top three because they are. I think Charlie has something that the other ones don't have is that on TikTok, TikTok is a platform that really started with the dancing and all the, the very sh- like little shorts and stuff. So her facial expressions are going to be top tier. She's going to be the best mm. out of that for everyone. So that brings her character to the ballroom and to, you know, to every single dance she's going to do. I do kind of agree with you with going on with Gabby. I think it's going to be definitely a battle between the two, but I feel like there is very high expectations for Charlie. So I think she might still end up winning, but I think it's going to be a very close, you know, I won't say match. That's kind of like football and sports, but it's going to be a very close competition between those two at the very end. Wayne Brady's he's getting there, but like you said earlier, his knee injury, mm-hmm. that's going to play a big part in his role. But, yeah, that Selma Blair thing, her luck's going to run out soon because I – Yes, God bless, you're doing it. You have MS, you're doing all these things, but I'm not sure about her. And then the deaf guy, I, I don't... Eh. There's going to be Arnold moments... Arnold brother's son's going to be gone soon. I'm <laughs> not a fan of, <laughs> of Arnold's Arnold's son. No, no I, he's I, okay. But my, like, my, wife, he's... My, my wife gave me the business last night because I always give running commentary throughout, and I just, I'll just shoot her a look or I'll, ma- I'll make a, a, a smart aleck remark about something, and she'll just look at me and she'll go, stop, stop. Because I, you know, it's it, it, I'm poking the bear and I'm trying to ruin her experience, and, and everything like that, everything like that. So when I do that, and last night when they were doing the thing with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he was like, "Yeah, I'd love to be in the James Bond movie," and I, I kind of chuckled. <laughs> I kind of chuckled, and uh, I was like, "Yes," I was like, uh, "I was like." I was like, sure, sure. And she's like, stop it. He has that dream and everything he's come from. And I was like, ah, okay. He's a chopper. <laughs> okay. I was like, really, really? He, he, could, he, could be the, the, he could be one of the henchmen for the villain is what he can do. Yes. That, that's what he can do. Yeah, he's, he, he's, he has great dreams, great aspirations, but your, your strength is going to get you not too far. He is losing weight, though. He is. Tina pointed that out last night when we were watching – that just a couple weeks in the ballroom, he's not hitting the, the the weights, and you can tell he's a little bit slender. That may actually help him. Yes. And yeah. so, speaking of all of this talk we're having, and you somewhat bring up your wife, she's actually on the hotline. Oh, that's so. Sneaky. I'm gonna go to the hotline. Oh, that's so the dirty. 337-706-0111 hotline for the game. That's, Hi, Miss Tina. How are you? It's so dirty. Good morning. How are y'all? Fantastic. Oh, no. See, see, see. You're you're supposed to not be listening. Not being truthful. (laughs) You're not supposed to be listening. You're supposed to be listening when you take the daughter to school, which is by 8 o'clock. When it gets to 840 time, you've gone on to doing other things. Well, not this morning. I'm waiting for my my class to start, so I'm listening to the game. Uh um, My husband's being a little less than truthful this morning. How so? It, it was a three-ring circus in our house last night. So he, as always, we're watching Dancing with the Stars. He's on his phone watching football. 
I have a homework assignment for a training class that I'm in, and Hattie broke the news to us last night that she's really not into Dancing with the Stars <gasps> because people should be able to dance from their heart and not be judged. <laughs> so she, she likes it, and it's okay, and she'll humor us by watching it with us because she knows we like it, but she really just doesn't like people being judged for things they like to do. <laughs> Well, she does not have mama's competitive edge. I, and yeah, it's, it's coming apparent now because I mean that's the whole point of the competition. But like me, <laughs> no, I can she, tell you on just, all. She just <clears throat> wants to watch the pretty slow dances. That's all she wants to see. Yeah, I do love me a good ballad. They're they're all of a good waltz. The rumba, the tango, they aren't really my thing to watch as much. They're hey, fierce, but yeah. hey, uh, wife, um, why did you get so up so upset when I made smart Alec remarks about Arnold Schwarzenegger's illegitimate son? Dear. So, so he's improving. Okay. So you have your front runners that they're expected to do great things. Okay. So you don't really see their improvement as much. He's really trying. He is really trying and, and he's getting better every week. That said, I think next week, either him or Sam champion is going to go home because I, I just think everybody else is far surpassing what their skill set is. Um, and it's becoming painfully obvious where everyone else is kind of kind of really approaching their peak and they're just kind of, you know, staying a little flat. But yes, I I, I commend him for being on there. Obviously he knows he's gonna get critiqued quite a bit for being Arnold Schwarzenegger's son. Um, but I think he's doing the best he can and he's doing really well. Oh, that's oh that's so oh, yeah. adorable. It's a I nice think... competition. Where's your competitiveness <laughs> at deer? Hey, it's it's still gonna be I think it's gonna happen though. I think if we're looking at it by comparing it basically I'm gonna say, but doing women and men, <clears throat> it's gonna end up being sorry, my voice is going out. <clears throat> I think Sam will probably go home soon. And then after Sam's gonna be Vinny. I love yeah. You know, Georgia Shore, yeah, 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 yeah whatever. Beat it up. <clears throat> but um, Jim he's going to go next. And then it'll probably be, I can't think of his name right now, but Schwarzenegger's son and then the deaf guy. After that, I have I no idea. But those those couple are going to be gone soon. Women, definitely be Selma. I'm sorry, but Cheryl's luck ran out. I was happy for her. Great job. <laughs> you were Charles Angel, whatever. But, yeah, her luck ran out what quick. One thing that happened is Ray and I were almost neck and neck with all of our scores yesterday, but we had a very good observation. The Roomba is a very unfair dance when it comes to males and females. And so it's almost mm -hmm. not fair because just by nature of the dance, the women have to do so much more work in the dance. Yeah, I think they do have a lot more work to do in the dance. I think the guys, they have it to where it's a little bit easier on them because they want to do as much work of the like footwork. But then they look kind of like stocky and they kind of get a little bit boring and, you know, stagnant because then they're not really moving their feet as much as women have to doing all the kicks and the scorpion kicks. Why is any of that surprising? Women have to do more work <laughs> in any relationship with a man anyway, so I don't yes. know why y'all are surprised. Exactly. Thank you for calling, dear. <laughs> Thank you for letting me. <laughs> Bye, Miss Tina. Y'all have a good day. We're going to have a conversation off the air producer extraordinaire about allowing the wife onto the show that will be had i feel sabotaged i feel like i was set up for failure over there the whole time how long was she waiting for
uh, the entire conversation. Oh, my goodness. Up until your last clip you played at Brian Kelly. Cahoots! It's fine. Cahoots! So, with that, with that being said, we're going to take a timeout here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Final results of the poll question of the day. It's a good one, too. It's a good one. Based on Bobby Wagner stepping in and trucking a fan that ran onto the field and decided to do a gender reveal on the field during a ball game. Should all gender reveals now, whether they're during a football game or not, end with a linebacker trucking the dad? Eighty-two percent of you say yes. Eighteen percent say no. I want to talk to the eighteen percent that say no. Robert Duplachan says I agree with most on here. Gender reveals are one of the dumbest things ever. <laughs> I'm just saying, having a linebacker or a grown man truck the dad, I think would take gender reveals to a whole nother level. Just saying. Thank you for all who voted on the poll question of the day. I want to take a moment to thank our guests, Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast, Coach Dez with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Bill Bender from the Sporting News, and Jim Gazzolo from the Late Charles American Press. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, even though she sabotaged me while sneaking my wife onto the air. Shout out to the wife as well, Tina. I'm Raymond Parcher Third, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.